Hi, folks. Andy Robbins again. Today, we're going to be talking about alternative preventive therapies against COVID-19, what the research is saying. And this might be my last posting on the COVID saga. And uh, although I've covered a lot of ground in the last four postings, I wanted to do this last one on this topic. Maybe it'll be my last one. We'll see. <laughs> um, I wanted to do this last one because I don't want to leave anyone hanging with regard to what to do to protect oneself as we approach cold and flu season. We've covered the science on masks and vaccines and why we really can't rely on those things to protect our health. And really, when you think about it, it doesn't appear that even those who advocate for these things really believe in them that much either. Think about it. If masks really worked to protect people, why is it that people who wear them also want you and me to wear them? If they work, then when you wear a mask, you should be protected from your environment regardless of what others do, right? I remember being in a CVS pharmacy last year, and when I approached the cash register, a lady behind the counter who was safe behind her acrylic protective shield bolted to the counter while also wearing a mask, made sure to tell me, sir, you know, you're really supposed to be wearing a mask while you're in here, to which I replied, well, you're standing behind this plastic shield and you're wearing a mask, so you're protected, right? And after she stumbled over herself for a second, she said, well, I don't know about that, but I guess the customer is always right. <laughs> and then after another moment while she was ringing me up, she admitted, you know, I hate wearing these masks. So if I have to wear them, I guess I want other people to wear them too. <laughs> well, there you go. I appreciated her honesty at least, and I told her so. Well, the same would be true with vaccines. If vaccines really work to protect people, then why do people who are vaccinated have any concern at all about the unvaccinated? It's like a person under an umbrella during a rain shower shouting to a person not using an umbrella and saying, sir, my umbrella won't work unless you use yours. <laughs> or someone taking vitamin C and zinc and demanding everyone else do the same because, you know, my supplementation won't work unless you are taking the same things. So many vaccinated people apparently don't even believe the vaccine works to protect them because many of them are still social distancing still wearing masks, and still upset when you and I don't adhere to those same standards. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Listen, can I make an observation before I move on into our topic today? Everyone listening to this podcast right now has a 100% chance of dying. Regardless of what we do, the ultimate medical statistic is still true. 10 out of 10 people die. So rather than live our lives in fear, why not just live and enjoy seeing your family, enjoy going out to eat, to the park, to church, et cetera? And here, here's the real kicker about that. Most people embrace that truth, I think. Have you seen the football stadiums lately? They're packed and no one wears a mask. Did you see the Oscars? Those hypocrites from Hollywood all packed that room with no masks. But you, on the other hand, you had better mask up your children and you better mask up when you go to work. Oh, oh and did, did I mention that the entire Biden administration is exempt from taking the vaccine? Yep, you heard that right. I'm going to make you take it. But as for me and my house, well, we'll do what we want. The hypocrisy has no bounds. They apparently don't have the confidence in the safety of that vaccine to take it themselves. And on that note... I've thrown some alarming numbers your way in the last few episodes related to the vaccine injuries and deaths, 
But let me bring it down to where we live with this uh, first story before we move on to the main topic at hand today. As you see on the screen there, the, uh, the uh, headline there says, quote, I just want my life back says 16-year-old who developed neurological symptoms after Pfizer vaccine. They go on to, to state in the subheading there, in an exclusive interview, 16-year-old Sarah Green and her mother described Sarah's neurological symptoms following vaccination with Pfizer and how doctors wouldn't acknowledge the vaccine might be to blame. Well, that's nothing new. We've heard about that sort of thing for years and decades now related to vaccine injuries and how drug companies and doctors won't acknowledge that when a vaccine injury happens, it was because of the vaccine. That's not surprising. They go on to state in the article, Sarah Green was a healthy 16-year-old until she developed neurological problems after getting Pfizer's COVID vaccine. But doctors said her tremors, uh, but doctors said her new tremors, ticks, and debilitating migraines couldn't possibly be caused by the vaccine, of course. It goes on to say, in an exclusive interview, Sarah and her mother, Marie Green, said they feel helpless because nobody will acknowledge Sarah's vaccine injury and, quote, nobody can help them. So you see a picture of her uh, before and after there, um, and she's taking multiple medications. The article goes on to say for her tremors, tics, and debilitating migraines, and so it's changed her life. She's in pain all the time. She's um, involuntary movements all the time. It's literally changed her life. Uh, very, very sad. And I've seen numerous stories like this of people whose, whose lives have been wrecked because of the health problems that occur soon after getting that vaccine. Um, and of course, the death numbers are continuing to climb as well. So very, very sad story there. Um, now, uh, let me move on here. How about this story that you may not have heard, that Moderna's COVID vaccine had to be recalled in Japan because it contained stainless steel contaminants. Huh? How did stainless steel contaminants get in that vaccine? Another sign that a warp speed development process is not in keeping with the highest standards of safety. Now, I, I want to um, give you this story too, just a, a couple more points here before we move on into the uh, biotherapeutic agents to protect one's health, but I wanted to lay a groundwork first. I want you to see this uh, story right here um, out of LifeSite News. By the way, that's a great site, uh, LifeSite News. They, they don't filter the news. They, they don't spin the news, and uh, they just give you all the facts as uh, they come about. So you might want to check that out, but uh, check this out, this article. Uh, fully vaccinated account for nearly 100% of New York University's COVID cases. So again, the fully vaccinated account for nearly 100% of uh, the COVID cases in a New York University. It's uh, Syracuse University is, is who it is. So the article goes on to state, and this was from September the 21st of this year, 2021. Um, they go on to state, Syracuse University announced on September 17th that 143 of its 148 identified cases of COVID are attributable to individuals who have been vaccinated. Oops, that doesn't fit the narrative, does it? <laughs> the vaccine is supposed to protect people from COVID, I thought, not make them more vulnerable. I had lunch recently with a head medical person at a university here in Indiana who told me the same thing about the college that she works for. 
she said nearly all the students coming in to see her, not nearly all, 100% of the students coming in to see her, she said, who were coming down with COVID symptoms were vaccinated. And these were students who had been around only other vaccinated students and staff because this particular university mandates vaccines for all their students. You can't come back to class without having been vaccinated at this particular university. So this particular medical professional wanted to remain nameless because she fears for her job. She's one of the last remaining holdouts who's not been vaccinated. And she also fears for her job for merely stating the truth of what she's seeing, that it's only the vaccinated who are getting sick. Well, okay then, if masks and vaccines don't work to protect us, or are even questionable in protecting our health, then are there other things that we can do to protect from COVID and other illnesses? Well, let me first say that there's nothing that's 100% foolproof, of course, but there are things that can build a more robust immune response. And in fact, there are certain biotherapeutic agents that have been proven to give you a fighting chance against COVID specifically. So let's jump into that. The first biotherapeutic agent, if you want to keep, uh, keep it in the realm of pharmaceuticals, is ivermectin. Now, early in this COVID saga, the NIH was recommending against ivermectin. And in fact, that entire notion was lambasted by everyone on the side of vaccines and masks. But alas, the NIH finally had to acknowledge that this drug is very effective against COVID, especially if it's taken in the earliest stages. They state, ivermectin makes, quote, large reductions in COVID-19 deaths possible, large reductions in the deaths related to COVID-19 possible. That's what the NIH has now come out to say. All right. Um, in fact, a little um, snippet from the article itself, quote, moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggest that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. That's the National Institute of Health. And here's another story. A medical journal calls for ivermectin to be, quote, globally and systemically deployed. This is from May 6th of this year. The American Journal of Therapeutics has published a research paper calling for ivermectin, a drug which has been maligned and suppressed as a coronavirus treatment, to be, quote, globally and systemic, systematically, pardon me, globally and systematically deployed as a treatment for COVID-19. Now, ivermectin is an antiparasitic, so I'm gonna reserve judgment on the naysayers because at first blush, this would not seem to be something that you would pull out of the medicine cabinet to treat a virus. However, the proof is in the pudding. And from there, let's go on to discuss some substances found in nature that can be very powerful, protective and therapeutic agents. Now, first up is vitamin D. Vitamin D is really a rock star, as I've said in previous posts for the immune system, especially influenza-like viruses. And COVID is a mutated kind of influenza. In this study published in the Journal of Steroid Biochemistry and Molecular Biology, um, they, um, they state in the conclusion, well, actually, let, before I go to the conclusion, let me give you the, the, the study design. So what they did, they, these were... Um, 
These were people who were hospitalized with COVID-19. They were in ICU, so they were in very bad shape. So these people were getting some drugs. They were getting ivermectin and they were getting hydroxychloroquine. Um, and then the, the treatment group was also getting vitamin D and lots of it, 60,000 units a day of vitamin D. Now, the vitamin D group did very, very well. They were out of ICU in seven days, where uh, as the people not receiving vitamin D didn't do quite that well. The conclusion of the study is that our pilot study demonstrated that administration of a high dose of calicociferol uh, or a 25-hydroxyvitamin D, a main metabolite of vitamin D, endocrine system significantly reduced the need for ICU treatment of patients requiring hospitalization due to proven COVID-19. Uh, the vitamin D seems to be able to reduce severity of the disease. All right. So vitamin D is incredibly important. That's one of the primary things you want to focus on. And especially as we enter cold and flu season, you want to do probably at least 10,000 units a day during cold and flu season as a, a way to protect yourself from any virus or bacteria that's floating around, but especially in this day and age, you wanna take at least 10,000 units a day of vitamin D. If you're getting your serum levels tested, which I recommend, and you're down in the teens, you might wanna do 20,000 units a day until you get the serum levels up to about uh, 60,000 units a day at least, and optimally, you probably wanna be above 80 um, in, in your, uh, your serum um, number. So uh, 60 to 80 is a pretty good range, but 60 is really kind of the bare minimum uh, for, for health purposes. And you want to be up around the 80 range in your vitamin D serum. All right, next up, I'm going to mention several of these, but next up is EGCG, which is a substance derived from green tea. Now, one study recently examined EGCG along with nine other phytochemicals shown to be anti-SARS COVID agents and EGCG was found as the most potentially active agent against COVID-19, uh, in the words of the study. EGCG is also a potent antioxidant with a number of other benefits on human health. Now, uh, EGCG um, is known as, it uh, has cardiometabolic benefits, it has uh, uh, anti-cancer benefits, it's been studied in breast cancer and prostate cancer. So it's not real famous for this other application that we see here in a COVID model. So again, what they did is they took 10 different phytochemicals in this COVID SARS model and all 10 worked, but the one that worked the best was EGCG from green tea. Very, very significant there. The next one is a zinc. And of course, we've all heard about zinc and how beneficial it is in helping to prevent viral replication. But um, zinc also plays a role in ensuring a proper immune response in the body and having been shown to shorten the duration of respiratory tract infections in general. But perhaps most important to this particular conversation in relation to coronavirus, zinc is a modulator of the production of inflammatory cytokines. So you've heard of the cytokine storm. Zinc plays a role in modulating that. So zinc is incredibly important. Uh, again, from a potency standpoint or a dosing standpoint, you want to focus on probably um, at least 40 milligrams a day. And if there is an acute situation with COVID, up to 200 milligrams and beyond is very appropriate. Uh, and as a matter of fact, hospitals, some hospitals are even dosing at that high um, for people who are in ICU. Let's move on to quercetin. 
Uh, quercetin is a polyphenol derived from plants is found in many foods such as leafy vegetables, onions, oregano, broccoli, apples, berries, ginkgo, green tea, and red grapes. Quercetin is an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antiviral. And I'll also add their antihistamine. It's great for allergies. And it plays a positive role in modulating the body's immune function. It um, has a strong potential to act as a coronavirus inhibitor, specifically providing support for regulating the body's inflammation response to the virus. So once again, that whole cytokine situation, it's great for um, helping to control that. So it's a wonderful antioxidant, boosts the immune system, controls the, the cytokine response, helps to balance the inflammasome response that leads to um, regulation of the immune system and regulation of the cytokine response. So quercetin is wonderful for all of that. And, and by the way, another benefit of both quercetin and EGCG from green tea is that they are both uh, zinc ionophores, meaning that they help zinc enter the cells more readily and contribute to enhanced bio, bioavailability of zinc. Another huge plus of having these nutrients on board. So if you're taking zinc, you can get a lot more out of it if you're taking quercetin along with it and EGCG from green tea. Let's talk about vitamin C very briefly. I know that most of us know about vitamin C. Um, the benefits of vitamin C are many and varied. Uh, it plays an important role in, in properly, uh, a properly functioning immune system, of course, and is an important physiological antioxidant. Now, Unlike animals, humans are not able to make their own vitamin C, uh, making it an important component of a healthy diet or supplementation. Vitamin C has been recommended specifically related to coronavirus in part due to its support of mitochondrial health in the fight against the virus. Now, some of the early research that came out of uh, China uh, when this whole COVID thing first broke among some of the independent scientists and doctors there, they were giving, I think it was 75,000 milligrams of vitamin C intravenously. And that's all they were doing with the one test group. And uh, these people that were receiving that much vitamin C intravenously were COVID free in seven days. From a preventive standpoint, um, I like at least 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, probably more like 2,000 throughout cold and flu season. You could even bump it up beyond that uh, with a buffered form of vitamin C that doesn't cause loose stools, you can go even above that if you like, and that might even be recommended. If you're concerned about a weak immune system and getting COVID um, or any other virus or, or uh, flu bug, et cetera, during cold and flu season, bumping up your vitamin C in a buffered form is a really good idea. And again, uh, bare minimum, a thousand milligrams a day, you could go up easily to 3000. And uh, I think that's a very appropriate level as well. And let's talk about N-acetylcysteine or NAC for a moment. So NAC is a cellular antioxidant that specifically promotes healthy lung tissue. That's huge. Helps to thin the mucus and, and support lung health. So NAC is a free radical scavenger that also su supports glutathione levels in tissues. It's known as the master antioxidant, um, uh, glutathione is. And glutathione protects the human body like few others. Its, its primary contribution is the protection of the body's mitochondria or cellular energy factory through mitigating damage by heavy metals, organic toxins, and free radicals. So supporting mitochondrial health is a critical component in the so support of the body's defense against coronavirus. 
And N-acetylcysteine, again, helps to boost glutathione to um, help to get rid of those heavy metals, organic toxins and free radicals, et cetera. So separate from its antioxidant properties, however, glutathione is considered an inhibitor of the inflammatory response. So it's very important that we have um, uh, enough glutathione in the body and N-acetylcysteine helps the body to create its uh, own glutathione. Very, very important there. All right. Now, I'm going to end with this thought right here. Thomas Paine said, a body of men holding themselves accountable to nobody ought not to be trusted by anybody. <laughs> yes, folks, there are laws in place now that prevent drug companies being held liable if their drugs injure or kill someone. And obviously, our current presidential administration hold, hold themselves accountable to no one since they are exempt from taking the very vaccine they say, they say will save humanity. See, we can't trust these people to have our best health interest in mind, so we better take our health back into our own hands. And some of the nutrients that we talked about today will help you to do just that. So if you have any questions on any of that, I can make some recommendations along these lines and uh, talk more about different potencies or, or dosing and different products that you might consider. So feel free to reach out to me with any questions that you have along those lines. So that's today's rant. Be well, everyone. Talk to you next time.